Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, where we discuss digital transformation and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here, some of the most innovative thinkers and leaders in healthcare and technology talk about how they are driving change in their organizations. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and it is my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Angela Yoakum, Executive Vice President, Chief Digital and Technology Officer for Novant Health. Angela, thank you for joining us, and welcome to the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. So let's dive right into it. Uh, Can you, for the benefit of our listeners, tell us a little bit about Novant Health and your role and perhaps also touch upon your unique uh, org structure. Certainly. Novant Health is a $5.5 billion nonprofit integrated healthcare provider network. We have 15 major hospitals. We have between 650 and 700 clinics and physician centers and about 30,000 team members. As you can imagine, you know we're focused on meeting our consumers' needs by shaping new services and and experiences that resonate with our consumers and and the communities that we serve. And so technology advances drive a lot of those expectations that our consumers have and certainly change the way we think about engaging with our patients and, of course, our team members and, and the broader communities. So my position was added in late 2017. It was meant to provide a way to increase access to care through digital means and also to define how we can improve quality of care by leveraging advanced technologies and, uh, of course, our unprecedented access to data that we enjoy in in the healthcare space. My teams, of course, help the organization explore many ways that the digital capabilities that we provide can improve the health and, and the lives of our community members. I'm fortunate in that I work for someone I would describe as a digital CEO, Carl Armato. This notion of a digital CEO, I think, is something that's so important to so many industries today. Digital CEOs understand that advanced technology functions are essential to providing differentiated services and products, regardless of industry, and that the the executive team for any company must have expertise in the tech field represented at the decision-making table so that they can identify those opportunities when they emerge. And so in my organization, we moved all of the roles, all of those related roles report to me. And that, of course, helps us reduce fragmentation and avoid <laughs> conflicting <laughs> investments or duplicative investments in technology and, and analytics space across the board. So my senior staff includes the chief information officer, the chief technology officer, our chief medical informatics officer, our CISO for cybersecurity, our chief data officer, and the chief digital health and engagement officer, as well as an executive responsible for learning and research across the digital products and services group, which I lead. It's a strong, cohesive team of highly talented people from a variety of industries in a variety of backgrounds and credential areas. So it's been uh, incredibly rewarding. All right. It's a fairly impressive uh, setup there. And we'll talk about some of the initiatives that uh, you mentioned. I just want to, uh, again, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, 
Novant Health is based in North Carolina. That's correct, right? It is. We're headquartered in North Carolina. We operate primarily in three states, but we have a footprint across five. And it's, I guess, what you'd call a super regional. Got it. Okay. So one of the things about uh, your background, Angela, is that you came from outside the healthcare industry. So I'd love to start by asking you what struck you the most when you came into healthcare and into your role, and what is your assessment of the current state of maturity of uh, digital transformation and digital health in the sector? I'm going to answer that. Those are two very interesting questions. Uh, What struck me when I came here, and in fact, one of the reasons I joined Novant Health is that the significance and the importance of the work being done in Novant Health, I mean, literally life and death work, right, drives a tremendous appetite for adoption of the latest and greatest capabilities that would allow us to provide higher quality care, greater access to care, get better outcomes for our patients and communities. So it's that appetite and that ambition for improvement across the board and the passion that I think our team members bring, our clinicians bring at Novant Health that struck me that is so different than what I've seen in other industries. And I've had an opportunity to work with very, very smart, driven, amazing people across the other industries. But the life or death aspect of what it is that we do here just elevated that intensity. And I'm the type of person that appreciates that intensity. So that's one difference that I saw that I really appreciated. The other thing I'll say in response to the second half of your question, which is, you know, what have I seen across the healthcare industry? Of course, I don't have the same visibility across the healthcare sector that you have, Patty. But in general, I would say that healthcare organizations have an opportunity to adopt more contemporary methods and technologies and architectures and philosophies related to engagement and uh, the delivery of solution sets to, you know, consumers and team members. And I'll add that the window of opportunity for adopting (laughs) more contemporary capabilities is closing rapidly. And I would say that based on the number of unconventional entrants that we're seeing in the healthcare ecosystem. Right. You mentioned contemporary technologies a couple of times, and we all know that healthcare, there's a lot of legacy tech, there's a lot of technical debt, And uh, at the same time, we're also rushing towards the future of digital health defined largely by patient experience today as I see it across healthcare enterprises. The singular focus seems to be around improving the patient experience and improving patient engagement. So digital front doors, as an example, are all the rage. Now, I just want to ask you, is that firstly defining digital health in terms of just digital front doors Is that too limiting? Should we be thinking about modernizing technology to your comment about bringing in contemporary technology and therefore expanding the scope of digital transformation? How are you defining digital transformation in your role? This is a fantastic point that you raise. Of course, you know, thinking about digital front doors and only that as being the scope of a digital engagement is of course, very, very narrow. It's way too narrow. We define at Novant Health, we define digital care both as both the ways in which we use digital channels to offer care, which is what you've just described, but also 
in the ways in which we enhance our traditional models of care delivery through digital means. So if, you know, let's break that down a bit. Digital front doors, absolutely a ton of movement there. You see a lot of investment across the investor community in point solutions that are providing, allowing us to provide as we adopt them, unprecedented access to care using devices such as our on-demand TIDO care visits or, you know, EICU capability or telebehavioral health, uh, kiosks in remote locations and community centers and schools and so on. I mean, all of these sorts of things are are highly visible and they're, they're absolutely a real thing and, and a real focus area for us as well as for everybody else. But to your point, we also focus on very relentlessly, we focus on capabilities that increase the quality of care. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Earlier in, in 2019, we uh, launched across all of our hospitals a stroke care solution. So I'm sure that your listeners know what happens when a patient exhibiting stroke symptoms shows up in an emergency department. But just for those, if there are any who don't, I will describe it very briefly. And this is across the board. This is just sort of the protocol across the board. A stroke patient shows up, an emergency department whisks them back, puts them in a CT scanner. I'm, I'm skipping a few steps. But, you know, they get into a CT scanner. CT scanner runs. And then once the scan is complete, the image is examined by the radiologist on call, who in turn might pass it along if he sees something that may need some care, some attention, will then pass it along to the physician on call, who then engages the neurosurgeon on call, and somebody at some point readies the operating room. And if there's some sort of operable occlusion, you know, the patient is treated in that operating room. And the national average, my understanding, is that the national average is somewhere in the the mid-50s of minutes. So between the time when the patient shows up to the time when the operation is is being conducted. And if you think about a stroke patient losing a couple million brain cells a minute, give or take, that's a lot of it's a lot of minutes. It's a lot of brain cells lost. So we have partnered with a third party called VizAI who receives the CT scan data while the scan is still being conducted. So as soon as the patient goes into a CT scanner in one of any of our hospitals, we stream the data into the VizAI environment, and they apply AI-based algorithms to the, the streaming data as it as it comes through, and they can identify an operable occlusion if it exists before the scan's complete, well before the scan is complete. Mm-hmm. And so their solution actually sends the scan to the neurosurgeon on call and makes a notification to the, the OR so that we have treated patients in as few as 14 minutes from the time they show up to the emergency department exhibiting stroke symptoms. Big deal. Our average amount of time with this AI solution in place is about somewhere between 22 and 25 minutes. So well, well below the national average. And between the time when we saw, and I'll come back to this because I think it's kind of an important point, between the time when we learned of the existence of this type of solution and the time we had it in all of our hospitals was four months. So it's not just about adopting solutions that are truly life-changing, life-saving for our patients, increasing the quality of care. In this example, in the stroke protocol, but you know, obviously there are many other examples across a variety of institutes. It's also about preparing the environment so that you can adopt rapidly these sorts of solutions without, you know, the traditional sort of year-long analysis phase that, that might go on otherwise. That's a fascinating example, and uh, I've uh, seen in other uh, health systems, you know, telestroke uh, capabilities being rolled out just for the
for the same reason that reasons that you mentioned that every minute counts. I want to come back to that, but before that, I just wanted to touch upon the digital front doors discussion that we had. You have launched a digital health engagement division that focuses on patient engagement, as I recall it, specifically patient engagement through digital tools. Can you share uh, any early learnings, any data points that could benefit uh, you know, our listeners, you know, others who are implementing these kinds of tools for improving patient engagement? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that was so interesting when we launched this, this digital health and engagement division, which, by the way, is led by a practicing family physician and a, a strong team of people from a variety of backgrounds, one of the things we learned is that the appetite in our patient community is so strong for helping us as we develop these solutions. Our strategy for everything we do at Novant Health, of course, starts with the patient. You know, we want to know how can we eliminate their pain points? What do they need? How can we change to meet those needs? And so on. So when we announced the creation of this, of this division, we ended up having 7,500 members, patients, sign up to be members of a group we call Community Voice. So this is a group that, you know, essentially patients, community members, caregivers, who've agreed to be our focus group and, and sometimes our pilot group for new digital capabilities. And so, you know, the learning that I would pass along to others is the appetite exists and you can have a very, very large sample set of participants as you run experiments with new ways of engaging your patients digitally, I think relatively easily. Of course, you have to figure out how you're going to manage that community, which, which we've done and, and obviously which can be done. It's been a wonderful success. And the most recent example that I'll give you is our, we have an exclusive partnership with a company called Taito Care. It's right now, our, we're, we've soft launched it, so it's just soft launched in North Carolina, and it's for on-demand remote medical exams. So we've had on-demand video visits forever, right? That's not news. But these devices, so Taito Care has a device. It's about the size of the palm of your hand, and it has a variety of peripherals that plug into it. And these devices, when used by patients or caregivers, allow them to connect with a Novant Health provider who can virtually examine the, the heart, you know, hear the heartbeat, hear the lungs, you know, hear the breathing, look at the skin, look in the ears, look down the throat, look in the eyes, look up the nose, check the abdomen, and so on from wherever they are. And all of these examinations are not only being guided by a remote provider, but in the case where a patient might want to do the self-exam without a provider live, then the device itself will guide the patient through the process, analyzing the signals coming in from the advanced sensors in the device in real time and using those signals to tell the patient how to adjust the device. You know, For example, if your patient's trying to capture a picture of his or her own eardrum, then the device will guide the patient until the, the eardrum is, is uh, the image of the eardrum is collected. And then it's automatically immediately saved off in the uh, in the electronic health record for that patient. So really interesting advance in providing access to care. So for anybody who's ever <laughs> for anybody who's ever had a child who suffers from a, multiple ear infections for example, if you can imagine 10:30 at night, child exhibiting ear infection symptoms, <laughs> you know it's an ear infection, the child's had six ear infections this year alone. Wouldn't it be great not to have to worry about taking off work the next day and, you know, taking the ch trying to get the child an appointment and instead allowing an exam to happen right then, having the ear infection diagnosed right then, 
and having the prescription called in right then and the child gets to start taking the, the treatment, you know, immediately before even going to bed that night. So this is the sort of thing that that team is working on and, and doing um, doing some fairly groundbreaking work in our region. Yeah, so it's fascinating. Uh, there's a couple of themes that are emerging from your comments, Angela, and uh, tell me if I'm off in my assessment. It seems like you've had great success in uh, virtualizing aspects of care delivery through uh, technology. You've had great success uh, from the sound of it in engaging in having your patients engage with the digital tools that you're putting out, and especially the patient engagement uh, program where you've had, you know, I know thousands of patients sign up and be a part of it, willing participants. Now you've got a self-triaging kind of a tool through the TitoCare device. So it seems like uh, that is a recurring theme. You're getting patients engaged in their own care instead of having to push it out to them, and you're uh, getting a fair amount of success in uh, virtualizing care through advanced technologies. Am I getting it right? Would you agree with that assessment? I do agree with that assessment, you know, but it's a journey that goes on constantly. So this is not a, a space in which we can rest on laurels. This is not a space that remains stagnant by any stretch. We, you know, have to continue to adjust to emerging patient expectations, the needs of our communities as they evolve, and and those are the sorts of things that I think, you know, keep us on our toes. And that's why we've built these constructs that allow us to continually look for these opportunities and, and run experiments with some of the technologies so that we understand what the impacts would be and, and how, how to prioritize the work. Yeah, let's switch tracks here. I want to talk about data. And uh, you've uh, launched a new institute for innovation and AI. So obviously your commitment to data and advanced analytics is evident from that. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what your goals are for the Institute of Innovation and AI and uh, how you're harnessing data to drive these improved experiences? Talk a little bit about the Institute itself and and the goals, if you could. Sure. So we launched the Institute this past year. I co-founded it with Dr. Eric Eskiaglu, who is our chief medical officer. He happens to be a practicing neurosurgeon. And before he was in medicine, although he's top of his field, before going to medical school, he was actually a, an aerospace engineer. So he's a rocket scientist. So really great partner to have as we think about things related to innovation and, and uh, artificial intelligence and other advanced technologies that really need never be explained to him. He's always there uh, as a tremendous partner with me as a digital leader. So when we launched the Institute, the goal was, you know, how do we identify these technologies that may not even be commercially available And how do we use them to accelerate solutions that allow us to provide the highest quality, you know, highly personalized care? So the constructs allow us to work with our very engaged physician community, as well as other team members from across the system, and partner very easily with a variety of third-party types. So we partner with uh, members of the startup community, we partner with universities and other research organizations, other healthcare organizations, a variety of unconventional partnerships um, tend to be um, to be crafted as part of the, the, the work that we do inside of the Institute. And ultimately, this allows us to run rapid experiments with new solution sets, understand impact based on, you know, real data that we can collect, not just, you know, supposition, 
better engage the broader community inside of Novant Health to get involved in, in making these game-changing advances for our patients and our, and our practices, and also to best manage investment so that we're not unnaturally fragmented in, in the sorts of experiments that we run across the board. So it's been a, a great success in the sense that we're able to, to do the work rapidly and with a feeling of having the right experts in the room at the right time. Right, and I look forward to following the progress uh, of the Institute in the in the coming months and quarters. So coming back to data itself, now there's a raging debate about access to data from a privacy standpoint uh, and you know, patient access, the proposed HHS ruling. That mm-hmm. aside, working with data has always been a challenge in healthcare, and you probably appreciate this more because you came from outside the industry where probably... I'm guessing data was a lot more fungible. But healthcare has not been that way uh, forever. And uh, there's a lot of systemic issues that have gotten in the way of interoperability and so on. So quickly, can you maybe uh, you know give us the state of the union, if you will, on data interoperability? <laughs> and uh, how are you really harnessing all the emerging data sets? And we've talked about, you know, we tend to talk a lot about EHR data, but there's so much other emerging data sets. How are you actually harnessing the data for all the insights that you can potentially generate for some of your programs. Can you talk about that? Mm, Sure. So let's um, break this down a little bit. So when we think about, I'm going to have almost like an architecture discussion with you now, because, because I think about this in terms of the broad estate that we manage. What are our assets? What do we bring to the solutions that we define for the toughest problems that we're facing in healthcare? So data is one of those assets, right? We have, of course, our clinical data, as you mentioned, our patient and clinical data. We have consumer data. We have behavioral and and trend data. We have our business's master data. We have a variety of, of data from many, many sources. So we have to have a place where this data can reside, right, so that we can apply functional capability to it. We also have functional capability, which is expressed through a variety of solution sets. Some are homegrown. Others are provided by various third parties. We, as you know, as we've discussed already, uh, we have digital assets that provide care and other access-related capabilities to our patients and, and our communities. We have capabilities that support the running of our business and other foundational elements. And, you know, many of these capabilities can and should be provided by, you know, sort of a traditional healthcare vendor, like an EHR vendor, but many certainly will not be so I think if we focus, when we think about data, it's, it's best for us to focus on creating an architecture that can allow for interoperability between solution sets and various third parties in a highly secure fashion. That's how we get the, the most out of the unprecedented access to data that we have. This is what's going to allow for rapid adoption of potentially differentiating services for our patients. This is what leads to that extreme personalization in all engagements with patients improving the quality of their care through faster diagnosis, breadth of treatment options, and of course, all the other advanced tech that we can apply to it. So with this extraordinary availability of data and the things that we know we can do with it within the existing constraints and within our existing agreements that we have with our patients for the usage of those data, we are watching with great interest (laughs) this debate and uh, the deliberations that are ongoing. And, you know, while, you know, I don't have direct visibility into how those considerations are, are playing out, 
my hope is that the eventual ruling will benefit our patients. And meanwhile, the things that I can control are those architectural choices that I just mentioned. And so uh, as long as I stand ready to be as interoperable as possible and as secure as possible across the board, then whatever the decision is, we will be best positioned to serve the patients and communities. Right. We're coming up to the close of our conversation. I'd like to kind of bring it to a couple of final comments, if you will. Digital programs in general are in early stages of maturity, and uh, there's a long way to go to your point earlier that it is a journey that is by no stretch kind of a sense of it's all done kind of thing. So how do you actually keep track? How do you how do you measure progress? You know, how do you keep score of whether a program is working or not? Well, so we we look at outcomes fairly consistently across the board. So we measure the quality of our care uh, through a variety of mechanisms. We measure the access to care, the ability that patients have to access care at Novant Health. We, of course, in the digital channel space, have all of the usual measures that other industries have been using for um, engagement, for digital engagement, and we, we certainly track that. But the things that we, you know, and of course, because we are a business and we're a rather large business, we, of course, track how we can continue to provide advanced capabilities to our patients and communities still within an acceptable cost structure. So all of those sorts of things are measured as you'd expect them to be. I think the most important thing that that is specific to digital capability, and I mean that in the broadest possible sense, is that we are, in fact, measuring and tracking progress. And the nature of how we've defined progress outside of those broad buckets that I just mentioned would be different from case to case. But measurement is one of the most important things we can do post-launch, right? You're not done when you launch a a product or a solution. You are never done. The incorporation of of the measures and the the results that you're getting uh, should always feed into the next decision cycle. And in our case, that's a, a relatively short window of time. So we continue to iterate on all of the services and products that we deliver to our our communities as well as to our team members inside of Novant Health. And I, I love that you asked the question because it's it's one of the more important things we can do as we as we think about how we are acting as as stewards of the of the resource that our our companies have that are, that are so important to uh, ultimately to the health of our communities. That's so well said, Angela. Well, we're coming up to the close of our conversation. Any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners as it relates to how they could be looking at their digital programs or anything from your own experience as a best practice? One of the things that has been such an accelerator for us here is the creation of the chief data officer role and corresponding organization, which includes a cognitive computing group, uh, which includes enterprise information management organization. And these, these sorts of constructs and the corresponding investment allowed us to, I think, accelerate some of those foundational capabilities that are absolutely required in advance of being able to do any of the, the more exciting things we've talked about that are, that are more functional in nature. So, you know, getting those foundations right is important. That doesn't mean you have to, uh, you know, take a couple of years to do it. It has been done in other industries. My advice is to other healthcare systems, unless you are in need of additional healthcare expertise, Don't be afraid to pull people in from outside of healthcare because it's a gift to allow them to participate in such a a wonderful industry, and it will be a benefit to the industry to have those diverse 
perspectives involved in solving some of our most complex problems. That is, I think, a fantastic piece of advice. Well, Angela, thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast, and I look forward to uh, following uh, all of your uh, programs. And, uh, you know, you've been very generous with sharing some of your insights, and I follow you on uh, social media, and and I follow all the progress uh, that Nuant Health is making. All the very best to you and your team, and I look forward to speaking with you again sometime soon. Thank you, Patty. I I appreciate all that you do for our industry, and I look forward to the next time. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at thebigunlock.com.